0: many weeks, not sure how long yet, but we'll be there for a while, I'm sure, and uh, we're going to mostly cover some background and an introduction to the book, and we will look at verses one through three as well, but that will be more towards the end of our time together this evening, and uh, I'm excited about the study, and uh, the title of it is is A Story Worth Considering, and as we look to the book of Jonah, I, I do pray that God would Show us something about ourselves and show us something about Him um, that in the end would make us more like Christ. But let's read verses 1 through 3, and then we'll have a word of prayer and jump into our time together this evening. Now the word of the Lord came unto Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord, and went down to Joppa, and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof, and went down into it, to go with them unto Tarshish, from the presence of the Lord. Let's pray. God, we ask this evening that as we come to your house again, that you would um, begin working in our hearts through your word, even now. God, we thank you for the, the story, the account of Jonah, that we can look back upon and see your merciful grace towards both this man who was your prophet, who ran away from the calling that you had placed on his life, but also towards a people who were living in sinfulness and rebellion. And God, if you were gracious to a prophet who was running away from you, and if you were gracious to a people all these years ago who were living in a way that, that really was against you, God, that gives us hope that you'll be gracious to us as well. We thank you for your kindness to us, and I do pray that as we look in this story, we would see the truth of who you are, that we would see maybe a truth about ourselves, God, that we've been willingly or or readily ignoring, and that as we see that truth, God, that we would allow your spirit to change us, to make us into the image of your son, Jesus. God, we thank you how Jonah points to Jesus, and Jesus references him in the New Testament. I pray that this would just be another reminder to us that it really is all about Christ. And may you use this in a special way tonight to strengthen us, to equip us, and to make us more like Christ, and it's in his name we pray, amen. If you grew up in church or you've been around church for any amount of time, then the story of Jonah or the book of Jonah is one that you're probably pretty familiar with. Uh, the story is intriguing, isn't it? You think about a man running from God, ending up in the belly of a fish, being thrown up by that fish onto dry land, and then... Um, all the other things that he faced, certainly there's a lot that, that we'll talk about as we go through this together, and I'm excited about it. Uh, the imagery that God uses in the book of Jonah as it was written down is brilliant. There, there are plots uh, and plots and plots that twist and turn and uh, take all sorts of, of different routes than our minds could imagine. And within these four short chapters, you find some deeply convicting questions, some deeply convicting conversations and some information that broadens our understanding of who God really is. To start off, uh, is the story of Jonah real or fake? Certainly this is is a question that we would scoff at, but it's widely debated. In in recent months, I've listened to a couple different sermons um, that took a standpoint that the story of Jonah was not real, that it was just a Hebrew story um, that was written in a satirical way to show the the waywardness of man and the faithfulness of God, Um, and and they have reasons why they believe this, but we would take the stance that Jonah was a real man, he was a real prophet whom God sent to a real people to deliver a real message of repentance and judgment, and Jonah rebelled against God because he didn't want these people to repent. Uh, One of the reasons that we would hold that the story of Jonah is a true story is because Christ himself uses it as an example to point to the truth of who he was. And he does so, as we'll see, uh, along with Solomon. And if Solomon was real, none of us doubt Solomon was real, right? So why would we doubt that Jonah was real? And So as we go through this story, I I think it's important for us to understand where we land on that because it does change the impact that the story will have on us. If if it's just a story, a silly story about about a man ending up in a fish and being thrown up then really it won't have that much of an impact on us. But if we think about it as a real man who did rebel against God and God did cause a fish to swallow him and spit him up and then Jonah went on his way, I think it will in turn be more impactful to us. So it's a story worth considering. And as I said, there are are many things that we'll see within this story that we are familiar with, Um, but I pray that as we look at them, we would allow God to to work in our hearts through them. That It just wouldn't be a time for us to gain more knowledge about an Old Testament book. Because if that's all we're doing, then, then we've missed the point. Uh, but we should really desire and, and crave for God to show us, again, the truth of who we are and the truth of who he is, the truth of those who live around us, and our responsibility to reach them with the gospel. And if we look at the book of Jonah through that light or with that mindset, I think it in turn will prove to be very impactful in our daily lives. And so, as I said, the title of the series will be A Story Worth Considering. And as we go through this narrative, it's my prayer that we would evaluate our lives against the actions of Jonah, the sailors, the king, the people, uh, but also that we would evaluate our lives before a holy and just God. Jonah is often overlooked in the Old Testament because of its simplicity. But I think within the simplicity of the book of Jonah, there's many valuable lessons for us to learn. And so tonight we're going to start just by getting a little background on the book, on the man, on the people that he was called to go to, and then look at the commission that God placed on his life and see what Jonah's response was to that. So the first thing is, what type of literature is the book of Jonah? Well, Jonah fits within the the context of the minor prophets of the Old Testament. Again, we know this, they're not minor prophets because their message was small, but simply because their books are small. They don't have a lot written about them. If you If you have a Bible like mine, Jonah takes up just a little bit more than a page in in all four chapters. And so there's not a lot of information that is given to us about the man or the the mission that he went on. Uh, But we're given just enough to understand that Jonah made some grave mistakes. And Jonah's uh, mission was to go and, and speak God's judgment over the people of Nineveh. But it's interesting if you spend time reading through the book of Jonah it's more that the book is more about Jonah and his interaction with God than it is actually about the people that he was going to speak against or speak to. So he was a prophet, and this prophet was used by God in the past, as we'll see uh, in, in 2 Kings in just a moment. He was used by God in this instance, but ultimately he was used again by God in the New Testament to prove the truth of Jesus. The Christians or the believers or the Israelites, the Jews living in the New Testament time, would have had an understanding of who Jonah was and what Jonah did. And so when Christ told them that as you think of Jonah being in the belly of the whale for three days or the fish for three days, and he says, it's it's all pointing to me, in some ways it would have blown their minds because that's not what they were looking for. So Jonah was a prophet. As I said in 2 Kings chapter 14 verses 23 through 5, uh, we see that Jonah is mentioned in one of, I think, the only prophecies that, that we have recorded for us in the Old Testament. It says in the fifteenth year of Amaziah the son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam the son of Joash, king of Israel, began to reign in Samaria, and he reigned forty-one years. And he did that which was evil in the sight of the Lord. He did not depart from all the sins of Jeroboam the son of Nebat, which he made uh, Israel to sin. He restored the border of Israel from Libo Hamath uh, as far as the Sea of Araba, according to the word of the Lord, the God of Israel which he spoke by his servant Jonah, the son of Amittai, the prophet who was from Gath-hepher. And so in this prophecy, Jonah tells Jeroboam II that he would restore all the boundaries of Israel, that God was going to bless them, that God was going to do great things. Now, if you fast forward and you uh, read the the prophecy of Amos towards, towards Jeroboam, you're going to find that that prophecy was reversed because of the wicked sinfulness of the king, but also because of the sinfulness of the people. And so as far as a track record for a prophet, um, he really only has one other prophecy than what we see in the book of Jonah, and it was a prophecy that was reversed. And so kind of a a rough background for this man, uh, but we know that he was faithful to God at least at one point in his life when God had given him a message to declare to the people. So that's the type of literature that Jonah is. Then we have to ask the question, who wrote the book of Jonah? Any guesses or any thoughts? Jonah himself. I tend to lean that it was Jonah. Um, there's nothing that we can really prove that by. Um, I, I think with some of the language that he uses and some of the details that are given, it, it is a good indication that Jonah at least wrote the book or he was very close to the person that wrote the book. It's kind of like the Gospel of Mark that we've been studying, Uh, and and we know Peter had great influence in that book. It could be said the same thing about Jonah's, Jonah's book as well, that he either wrote it himself, which would be a sad story to write, but if he repented, which we don't know the end of the story of Jonah, if he repented of his sinfulness and then penned this story down, what an act of humility from him that he said, hey, this is the path I took, and it turned out horribly wrong, and yet God's forgiveness was there for me. And even if it wasn't Jonah who wrote the book, yet he shared this information with others. Uh, again, what a great act of humility! And so, um, we don't know who wrote the book, but we know it was written, and we know that God has preserved it for us. And in His preservation of this book, we know that it has great value to us even to this day. Any other thoughts on who wrote the book of Jonah or any anything surrounding that? I just wish written one more
1: chapter.
0: <laughs> yeah, one more chapter. <laughs> one more chapter. All right, the next thing I, I want to kind of look at is, is when and where did Jonah live? Uh, well, Jonah lived in the 8th century BC. Um, it, it was in the time of Jeroboam II when the Assyrian Empire was on the rise. They did not reach their climax in the time of Jonah, but they were gaining ground steadily. They, the the, the, the um, acts of war that they were implementing, the things that they were doing, certainly there was a great movement from a political or a a, a national standpoint of the Assyrian people. Jonah was also a contemporary of Amos and Hosea, of Isaiah and Micah, and uh, they all were writing in the same time uh, while Assyria was dominating the world politically. And as much as, as Assyria was impacting the world, let's also understand that these four minor prophets were also impacting the world because there were people that listened to their message. There were people that listened to the word of God and repented, And as we're going to see in the book of Jonah, even the Ninevites repented. The king repented. And Jonah says even the cows repented. And I'm not exactly sure what that means, um, but hopefully I'll be able to give you an answer before we get there towards the end of the book. Uh, But some significant things happened under these four prophets. We spent some time um, last year looking at another minor prophet, Malachi. And that was the first time I'd really studied to teach one of the minor prophets. And so this is only my second opportunity at it, so I hope I don't screw this one up either. Um, but, but they're intriguing, aren't they? There's a lot of good information in those minor prophets that compel us to follow the ways of God. If you get nothing else from the story of Jonah, understand this, sin has consequences. Rebellion against God always has consequences, and God's plan will always come to pass. And so what's, be- what's the best thing for us to do? To humble ourselves under his authority, and do the things that he has called us to do. So Jonah, again, lived in the 8th century B.C. He lived uh, in a place called Gath-Hefer, which was a territory of Israel, and he served with Amos, Hosea, uh, Isaiah, and Michael. Not all of them, obviously, were, were minor prophets, but they were all prophets nonetheless, and they were all working to see the advancement of the message of God to a people who were either God's people which most of the prophets went to, the house of Israel, or in Jonah's case, a people who were very far from God, and yet God was seeking to have mercy on them. Um, this, the next thing I want us to see is where else do we see Jonah in the Scripture? Uh, the only other places that we see mention of Jonah, we already looked at the passage in 2 Kings 14, 24, and 25, as he gave a prophecy to Jeroboam II about the good thing that God was going to do for him. But the only other places we see Jonah mentioned would be in the New Testament, one of those being Matthew sixteen four, as Jesus again was speaking of Jonah. But the broader one is Matthew 12, verses 38 through 42. And as Jesus is speaking, he says this, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and adulterous generation seeketh a sign, and there shall be no sign given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonas. For as Jonas was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh shall rise uh, in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, because they repented at the preaching of Jonas. And behold, a greater than Jonas is here. The queen of the south shall rise up in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, For she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, a greater than Solomon is here. And so Christ, as he was relaying the truths of the Old Testament, was really pointing out this truth, that of all the the great things that happened in the Old Testament, Jesus was the fulfillment of those things. And so this morning, as we looked at Psalm 23, and we saw the Lord as the shepherd that David was referring to, ultimately that finds its fulfillment in Christ as he is our great shepherd who gave himself for the sheep. And so as Jonah, or as Jesus rather, is speaking uh, to these people who are seeking a sign, he says, you're a wicked and adulterous generation because, because you're seeking a sign, but no sign is going to be given to you other than the signs that were already given. And what were those signs? The great wisdom of Solomon, who Jesus turned out to be the greater Solomon, and the, the act of Jonah being in the Whale's belly for three days and three nights, which pointed to Christ being in the heart of the earth for three days and three nights. And so again, for me at least, this goes to prove that Jonah was a real story, that he was a real man who rebelled against a real God when God told him to take a real message of forgiveness to a real people who were living in rebellion. People scoff at that idea, that we would think a man could get swallowed by a whale. Friend, if God can create the earth in six literal days... Can't he cause a fish to be able to swallow a human? And if, for me, if the story of Jonah was a stumbling block for somebody coming to Christ, then I would gladly say, then let's set aside the story of Jonah and look to the story of Christ because that's the one that's going to be impactful. And I do think that a heart that is is sensitive, at least from my perspective, could see that God could do these things. Um, To say that God can't, would be a sin in and of itself because it would be limiting a holy God who is able to do more than we could ever ask or think. So Jonah was seen other places in scripture. We know that he was a prophet as seen in 2 Kings 14. We know that Christ referenced him a couple of times. And to to me, these things prove that he was indeed a real man who who was a real prophet of the real and true God. And then we see what was he commanded to do? Well, if we look at Jonah chapter 1, Verses 1 through 3 again, it says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. This, this um, introduction to the book of Jonah is really not unlike the stories of the rest of the prophets, that God would come and speak to an individual to declare a message, his message to a certain people for a specific reason. Now, typically, when God spoke to a prophet, they were going where? To the house of Israel. They were going to declare either God's judgment or God's rescue upon his people that he had chosen uh, through the seed of Abraham, that he was going to bring them out or he was going to place them under judgment because their lack of of submission to his authority. So when God comes to Jonah this time, as Jonah begins to receive the message and he hears who he has to go to, it struck Jonah with, with a sense of fear, probably with a sense of anger, uh, with a sense of discouragement, maybe even with a sense of embarrassment because there was only one other instance where a prophet was called to go to a pagan people and deliver a message from God. And Jonah didn't want to be another one of those prophets. He didn't want to be one of those prophets in some ways because he hated the people that he was going to. He didn't want want to be one of those people because there would probably probably be some, some embarrassment on his part if these pagan people repented to the message that they were given but God's people continually rejected that message he was nervous to go to them because the Assyrian people were a wicked people if you read about the Assyrians in the Old Testament um, they were brutal people to those that they despised to those that they were against and Jonah didn't want those things to come upon him but nonetheless we see that God spoke to Jonah he says arise I have a, a, a work for you to do in verse number two Go to Nineveh, that great city. Now, as, as uh, God reveals the place that Jonah was going to go, he calls it a great city, and it was great. It was a large city that was conquering more and more land as time went on. But they were also great in their wickedness. Um, they lived lives that were against God in every way possible. If there was a sin that could be found, it would have been found in the Assyria region as they, as they moved forward in their... Desires to to stomp out the people of God, to stomp out Israel, so that they could gain more ground for themselves. But why does he say to go to Nineveh? Because he wants Jonah to cry against it. And what was his message? You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be destroyed. And that's the, the total understanding of what we have of the message that God gave to Jonah. You're going to be destroyed. Forty days, you're going to be destroyed. You're going to be destroyed. You're going to be destroyed. And we know the end of the story that these people repented in sackcloth and ashes. They were broken over the things that they had done. And God showed them mercy. And it goes to show that, that God can speak great volumes in the simplest of words. That God can capture hearts with truths that, that will cause people to change their ways to walk away from their wickedness and to turn towards God. And so God says, I want you to rise and go to Nineveh, that great city, and cry against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. As you hear that phrase, their wickedness has come up before me, what do you think of? What do you think he means? What's that? It does sound like Sodom and Gomorrah. Um, the, the, their wickedness was so great that, um, that God was taking notice of it. Anybody else? Any thoughts? Bruce.
1: I'm reminded that there's nothing going on in this world today that he isn't fully aware yeah.
0: of. of yeah, absolutely. Alicia. What's that? The Garden of Eden. Yep, absolutely. The, the Garden of Eden where we see wickedness come into play. Uh, this phrase, their, their wickedness has come up before me, it really has a, an understanding like a bucket was, was getting full. Certainly God saw their wickedness from its infancy, didn't he? He saw the waywardness of their hearts. He saw the the wicked rebellion before it was even played out in physical form through actions or through words or or through through wicked deeds. But there came a point kind of like the Tower of Babel when the wickedness of the world got so great that God had to do something about it. And so God's desire, I think, was to prove to the people that he was merciful, that the God of Israel that was blessing this nation so greatly could also be merciful to them, but in order to get their attention, what did he say? You're going to be destroyed. Now, if you were an Assyrian who was conquering all sorts of land and and all sorts of enemies, wouldn't you kind of laugh at that? Nobody's been able to destroy us. Nobody's been able to conquer us. Nobody has been able to, to take us captive, but we're taking others captive. So who is this man walking through our cities saying that his God is going to destroy us? And yet something within his message caused the people to stop what they were doing, to listen to the words of Jonah, and to repent of the things that they were doing. So as Jonah went, his cry was to simply be this, Repent, repent, your your, your city is going to be destroyed. And why was this? Because their wickedness had come up before God. As we move on to verse 3, we see, what Jonah was commanded to do, but then we see what Jonah actually did. But Jonah rose up to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord and went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare thereof and went down into it to go with them unto Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. Twice in that verse, the author of the book of Jonah reveals to us Jonah's desire was not just to flee the calling that God had placed on his life, but to flee God. He wanted to get away from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah was not a fool. He knew he he could never flee from the presence of the Lord. What does the psalmist tell us? God sees us everywhere that we are. We can't flee from his presence. But there was something in Jonah that wanted to get away from the very thing that God had called him to do. There was something in Jonah that said, "I, I despise the calling that you have placed on my life, and I'm going to go somewhere else. And so Jonah was supposed to go to the east, to Nineveh. And where does Jonah go? As far west as he could possibly go to get away from the calling of God and to get away from these people that Jonah was supposed to speak to and speak uh, for God on, on their behalf. He said, I, I'm not going to do it. And when God spoke to him, Jonah rose up to flee. He rose up to run away from where God wanted him to be. Uh, reminds me of the Garden of Eden, doesn't it? When Adam and Eve sinned, what did they do? Tried to hide themselves. And there's something about sin that causes us to not want to be in the presence of God. There's something about sin that causes us to want to flee from the good things that God has given us. And though this was a hard thing that God was calling Jonah to do, Jonah didn't see it as a good thing uh, because he didn't want these people to have an opportunity to repent. And if you're curious if that's really why Jonah was fleeing, all you have to do is read the end of the book. What does Jonah say? I knew you would be merciful to them. I knew that you would forgive them. And therefore, I ran the other direction. Why do you think Jonah didn't want them to repent? They were wicked to his people. people. Somebody else said something over here? They They were an enemy of Israel. Anybody else? Evan? Emphasize his own Certainly emphasized his own self-righteousness, that they didn't deserve what he deserved. Did, was Jonah thankful for the mercy of God that was poured out on his life? He was, but he took the mercy of God for granted, thinking he deserved it, but other people didn't. Um, really, it could all be boiled down to an issue of pride that was, was, had infested Jonah's heart and life that he was thinking highly of himself and and less of others. Now, if Jonah had paid attention through the Old Testament, through the other prophecies, through what God had revealed of himself, he would have known in some way that Israel was to be a light to other nations, even the wicked ones, right? Even those who despised their God, even those who fought against them. But Jonah didn't want to have any part in that. And so he went and boarded a boat in Joppa, Uh, and was seeking to flee to Tarshish, which was in the exact opposite direction of where God wanted him to go. Uh, So as Jonah wandered away from God, uh, we see that he actually didn't wander away from God, right? Because God knew where he was, and God was able to work in that scenario to bring him back, at least for a season, um, to to do the work that God had called him to do. Um, It's also interesting to note that as Jonah boarded a boat, Jonah had to pay to run away from the presence of God. And as we think of sin having consequences and sin being costly, it always is. And and we can be foolish to think that sinning is going to better us in some way, but it never will. Sin always costs us something. Sin always has consequences that we will have to pay for in some way. And certainly we know that Christ paid ultimately for those things. But I think we can also all attest to where in our lives sin has had some form of consequence that we have had to deal with on an individual level. And then the the next thing, we've kind of talked about this already, but I want to give you a few different views, and that's why did Jonah flee? Um, I I think Jonah's story outlines that for us, and that he was fearful that the people would actually repent, and so therefore he didn't want to go. He was scared of the Ninevites, for they were a, a wicked people, who did many wicked things. They were cruel to those that they didn't like in ways that other nations were not cruel. They, they would cut off people's arms and, and legs and let them suffer a slow and, and tremendous death. They would pluck out their eyes and cause people to go blind. If you've watched Tales, they would slap each other with fish. I don't know if that's true or not, but it was in Tales, and we won't take that as, as being in the canon. Um, they would drag people around. They would put hooks through their their lower jaw and tie them to the back of a donkey and and drag those people through towns and villages by that hook that was in their jaw. And so do you think Jonah had a reason to be fearful? From a physical standpoint, yes. But from a, a spiritual standpoint, did Jonah have a reason to be fearful? No. Because God would provide for him. Jonah could have looked at many of the other prophets, he could have looked at the story of, of Abraham. He could have looked at many who had gone before him and said, you know what? God called people to do hard things all throughout our nation's history. And if this is what God is calling me to do, then I know God will take care of me. And so there, there was something in Jonah's heart that was not right. There was something in Jonah's heart that had caused him to doubt the faithfulness of God while at the very same time. Say that these people didn't deserve God's faithfulness because of of the way that they were living and the way that they were acting. And so I think Jonah was filled with fear. I think Jonah was filled with hate. As we talked about, the Assyrian people were a wicked people, and there was, uh, and there still is, for for Jewish people, there's a sense of national pride um, that can be a hard barrier to break because. They were the chosen people of God. You can't deny that. You read through history, you read through the Old Testament, and God had and has a specific plan for the Jewish people and for them to, to be awakened or enlightened or open to this idea that other nations can come in to, to have their God um, be the same God and they could work together in, in unity for the sake of the kingdom. It's a hard thing for them to accept. And so it wasn't just that Jonah was fearful. I think in some ways it was that Jonah was a, a, a nationalist before that term became popular. I, I think he didn't want them to contaminate what God was doing. And hasn't nationalism always been a problem in our world? In, in many places around the world, nationalism is what causes wars. It's what causes um, great devastation in the world. And so Jonah was, was likely scared. Uh, he likely hated these people. And he didn't want them to come uh, into the presence of God, into the family of God, and he certainly wasn't going to be the one that opened the door to them, and yet, in the end, he was. Uh, God, God still showed grace to Noah, showed mercy to Noah, and allowed him to, to take part in a great revival um, that we read in, in the latter chapters of this book. Any other thoughts on why Jonah would flee? Rebecca. Rebecca. Yeah.
1: Right. Yeah.
0: Yeah, for sure. Uh, as we think about the, the pride issue in, in Jonah's heart about not wanting to go to these people, um, I, I do think that probably a group that struggles with this sometimes would be Americans towards nations that are against America. If you think back to 9-11, did Christians give much of a thought to those that they were actively speaking out against and wanting them to die? What were we most concerned of in that moment? Our nation, our freedom, our peace. And I think that's something that we have to be careful of. I think even in the, the situation with Russia and Ukraine as that got, got on fire and we saw all the, the hatred that was being spoken of on both sides, um, I think Christians have to be careful not to buy into that because our greatest concern should be the eternity of the souls of the people in this world. And unfortunately, I heard many believers say things to the effect of they just need to be wiped off the face of the earth. They just need to die. And what a sad reality that is. Why? Because they have eternal souls as well. And if, only, if we only think on a, a temporary level, then sure, we would be only concerned with, with the here and the now. But we don't live for the here and the now. We live for the future. And I think that's what was, was wrapping Jonah up. He was concerned with the here and the now. He wasn't thinking long-term. He wasn't thinking eternal plan of God. He was only thinking present plan of God and he was thinking to their history and all the wicked things that these people had done to God's people and so he says I want no part in them having an opportunity to receive the mercy and forgiveness of God I'd rather that they die but when they died they would be separated from God forever but what Jonah was forgetting in that is is he was right that they didn't deserve the mercy of God he was right but he was wrong in thinking that he did receive he did deserve the mercy of God. Nobody deserves the mercy of God. We receive it because God is merciful. And if we receive it, who are we to withhold that from another person? And that's exactly what Jonah was doing here. As as we come to the end of of the thoughts of verses 1 through 3, the kind of the background, I just have some questions that I want us to walk through as far as what lessons we should seek to learn from Jonah. The first one is, and we've already talked about this in some ways, but obedience is a choice that we all have to make. Um, what are your thoughts on the disobedience of Jonah and how, how it correlates to our disobedience? Um, isn't it easy to talk about Jonah's disobedience? It is because it's right before us and God preserved it. And it's a good thing that he did so that we can learn about it. But what, what do we see in Jonah's disobedience that if we're honest we can also see about us in our disobedience? Justin. Yeah. I think that's a good thought. Bruce.
1: Just we're told to go to our community, and we have a lot less excuse Hmm. than Jonah ever had. I mean, Jonah had some good reasons there, you know, from a human perspective, and yet we don't go either. (laughs) We got really nothing to fear. You know, we have no reason to fear except somebody saying, No, I really don't want this. Yeah.
0: That's about it. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on obedience? Yes, Liz. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I I, I think You know, certainly there's a correlation between Jonah's disobedience to go and preach what God had told him to preach to the Assyrian people, to the Ninevites. But obedience is every area of our lives. It's not just in the going and telling. It's it's the private things in our lives. It's the simple things that God has told us to do. And like Jonah, we always have a reason why we didn't do it. We can always come up with a good excuse in our minds as to why we didn't accomplish the thing that God had set forth for us. And I think disobedience is a sign of pride because if we're disobeying who have we made god in our life we've made ourselves god any other thoughts on disobedience in regards to jonah and how it correlates to us justin Absolutely. No, that's good. Um, I guess the, the last question that maybe you should just, we should just ponder in ourselves is, is where are we currently being disobedient to God? And what is that going to cost us? Um, and you don't have to raise your hand and tell me where you're being disobedient because I'm certainly not going to tell you where I'm being disobedient. Uh, but let's just think about that because it's a valuable question to think about where am I currently being disobedient to God in my life? The second lesson or thing I want us to think about as we seek to learn from Jonah is this. um, Following God's will often leads to places that we wouldn't choose for ourselves. Um, Any thoughts on how God's will is always better for our lives? If we follow God wholeheartedly, he will lead us to places that we would never choose for ourselves. But where have you found in your life that God's will is always better? Rebecca.
1: <laughs> um, but initially, when I was in my twenties and heading to college, the college I ended up at was not going to college. It was, like, it's so it was actually like my last resort college. Hmm. Just because, well, but it's just with the expenses of college. And I was like, well, I can do it here, and then we can save the college. Like, and I didn't like it because I thought it was the oddest thing in the world that Lucy Cowell and Walmart. <laughs> Yeah.
0: That's good. Anybody else on on thoughts on how God's will is better? Bruce, uh,
1: God's will is always the best, but that doesn't mean it's always the safest. Right. Robert Mickey went to Kenya in a civil war, and his church was almost overrun yeah. during that during a war that happened 15 years later, and the military showed up like yeah. one minute before they <laughs> needed them. You know? Right. So people have died on the mission field. Absolutely. And but it's better to go to Nineveh. Absolutely. You know, yeah. know what I mean? So it's just, uh, we all come to those uh, points in our life. I know one guy that made the decision to leave Virginia and come to Vermont. <laughs> Another guy left a career of teaching that he loved to be a pastor. There's times that we have to make decisions. And, and just begging God, praying for God, and asking yeah. for that perfect will. Sometimes you wish you'd just put down a billboard or something yeah. to do this. You know? yeah. It's not always the safety.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's not the safest. It's not the easiest, right? You can, you can live a, a much easier life sometimes from an earthly, physical perspective outside of God's will. Um, but in the end, what, what are we living for? And So it's an important question to consider. Any other thoughts on how God's will is always better? Patsy.
1: That I can't begin to describe. Yeah. When I finally just gave it to God and said, "It's yours. Do with it what you want." I don't know what the end is going to be. I don't know anything about it except I'm here and I have peace, and yeah. that's. I mean, I, I look at this whole thing. And I sit there sometimes and I think, I really
0: don't care. It's cancer. Yeah. It's not bothering me. Some things not wrong, <laughs> but it's, it's God's peace. Yeah. And that's a better place to be. As far as I'm Absolutely. Concerned. I was thinking about that um, when we were on the way to the airport on Thursday. Or maybe we were in London on Friday. I don't remember which day. But when Fabian had his stroke, Don was supposed to be on the missions trip with us. And God's will is always better. How hard would it have been to be on an airplane or or land in London and get a message that your husband just had a stroke, and now you've got to figure out how to get home? Don didn't go because she knew Fabian was going to have a stroke. Don didn't go because she hurt her ankle, re-injured her ankle, and she knew she wasn't going to be able to do all that walking. But who had it in his plan to allow her to hurt her ankle so that she couldn't go on the airplane? God did. She could have bucked it and said, no, I'm going to do what I want to do. I'll, I'll hold up the group and hobble along the streets. But she just took it as a subtle reminder saying, God's, for God saying to her, don't go on the trip. Patsy had that same scenario. She was signed up to go on the trip to Wales. And before she even knew she had cancer, she said, "There's something going on, and I just God is telling me not to sign up for the trip." Well, she would have been out a thousand dollars. That's the least of her concerns right right now. But God knew there was a reason for her not to go on that trip, and in His time and in His way, He made those things um, be in her heart and mind to understand why that was. And so, as as we look at Jonah's life, he was thinking that his will was better but God's will is always better. It led him to a challenging place, but God's will was always better. And following God's will for your life will likely lead you to a challenging place as well. Read through the Bible. It did for everybody in there. But weren't they always better off for it? In the end, they were, even if it cost them their lives. Next thing, sin always has consequences. Uh, What are your thoughts on the consequences of sin and why we don't think through them before we sin? Who in here agrees that you know that sin has consequences? Why don't we think through them? What is it in our heart and mind that blocks that that side of our brain off to think that it's going to be okay? I know in the past there's been consequences, but this time it's going to be okay. Jonah would have known that in his life, not just from a personal standpoint. He was a prophet of God. What was his job? Most often to say, hey, you guys have screwed up, right? You need to get back on track or else God is going to do this, that, or the other thing. And yet in his own life, he was willing to block that segment of his brain off, thinking that for him at this point there wouldn't be consequences. So what are your thoughts on the consequences of sin and why we don't think through them before we make the choice to sin? Annie? Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good point. And I, I do think that's we may never say it audibly, but I think it is a, a thought that we think often is, how far can I go? When we haven't surrendered, we, we don't think through the whole process, right? We, don't, we, we, we think what we can get away with rather than what God wants us to do. And that's, that's the line of reasoning that kids take, right? You give them a, the, the command and they think, well, how far can I go before they actually follow through with what they said they're going to do? And as silly as that is for a kid, it's the very same thing we do with God. We, we don't um, stay surrendered to him, and therefore we think, what can I do before God's going to step in? Any other thoughts? I remember uh, shortly after we moved here when uh, Brianna had a miscarriage Um, the Iwana Grand Prix was that Saturday and she stayed home and I came and uh, you and Jeff met me at the door and you shared your experience of what God had done in your life through a trial with us as we went through a trial and isn't that what God says trials are for so that we can grow to be more like him but also that we can comfort those who are going through difficult things um, but when we re- when we rebel against God, it would be easy in those moments to say, you know what, God, you've forgotten here, so I'm just going to forget about you and do my own thing. And we're always worse off when we do that. We're never setting ourselves up for success. We're always worse off. Um, so that's a, that's a great thought. Any other thoughts on that? Bruce?
1: God is so gracious and merciful that David prayed, don't let me get in presumptuous yeah. sin, that we just say, well, I can do this because God's. Already forgiven right. me. I'm born again. Or, you know, and sometimes I think he was gracious to that person. They did it. Right. They got away with it. No serious consequences that we see. So I'm good. Yeah. You know, so if we had just, James laid it right out. The lust that is in me. That's my biggest enemy. The lust that is in me. Yeah. Can't blame
0: In our sin, we know God's grace does abound, but we don't sin because God's grace will abound, right? What does Paul say in Romans 6? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You're not going to make God look better because you keep sinning, right? You're going to make yourself look like a person who doesn't actually believe in God. Um, So we, we we shouldn't travel down that road in our mind, but I think we often do. We know that forgiveness is there. But if we sin with the plan of repentance... That makes it even worse, right? When we sin knowing that we can receive God's forgiveness, we better check our our heart before a holy and righteous and just God because you're in a bad place. I'm in a bad place when I think about sin in that way. Any other thoughts on that? Dave. Dave. As Dave was sharing, it made me think of, and this will probably make you think really poorly of me, um, but I'm going to share it anyways. When I was 17, um, I worked at a truck stop. I was a a line cook, and uh, I had a friend there that was the cashier, and they would sell scratch tickets to people that were underage. And so I bought my first scratch ticket, and guess what? I won. (laughs) And so what did I do? Bought more, and I bought more, and I bought more all in one night, and then I lost and lost and lost and lost. And you know what lesson I learned in that night? That I have an addictive personality. And the the high of sin, it's, it's such a deceiving thing because even in the low, you think there's a way out. And there is a way out for a Christian, right? It's the grace of God. But we're not, as Dave was saying, we're not in control of those things. And so When I was 17 on that one night and bought my illegal scratch tickets, I've never bought another scratch ticket. Why? Because I know that I have an addictive personality. And so where is it better for me to stay? In the safe place where God has called me to stay rather than on the fringe or close to the line where I know that if I slip up, I'm too close to the line and I'm going to fall over. And I think that's part of the problem within Christianity today is that we we try to... be as close to the line as we can without being in sin, when in reality we should be as far as away from the line as we can be so that those things aren't even a temptation to us any longer. So if you think I'm a horrible person because uh, I bought a scratch ticket, let's just say Jonah did a lot worse than I did, right? Let's, let's, let's not be judging each other here. Um, two more things. Uh, a lesson that we need to learn is that we're more like Jonah than we want to admit. And I think that's true with all the the biblical characters that we see who make very big mistakes, um, those same mistakes are within us. I think it's it's uh, Spurgeon that said the sin of every every sin lies within the heart of every man. We're all capable of doing horrible and wicked things. And what is it that keeps us away from those things? The grace of God, the mercy of God. And then finally, um, something to take comfort in as we wrap up is that the desires of God will always come to be. Jonah messed up. He went to Nineveh. But God still got Jonah to go to Nineveh, or he went to Tarshish. God still got Jonah to go to Nineveh and preach repentance, and guess what? They repented. And if Jonah said, I'm not going, and he died in the belly of the whale, guess what? God would have sent somebody else to Nineveh. God's desires will always come to be but he desires to use us. He desires to have us be a part of his plan, and that's a comforting thing because we're not worthy of that. Jonah wasn't worthy of, of getting to do what he got to do, but God desired to use him, and God desires to use us as well. And what a place to be to submit ourselves, as we saw this morning, under the care of the shepherd and have the shepherd lead us to where he wants us to go. As I said, the, the sheep don't need to know where the shepherd is leading them. What do the sheep need to know? That the shepherd loves them. And when they're convinced of the shepherd's love, they're going to be willing to follow wherever the shepherd calls them to go. And so as Jonah heard the message of God, he says, I'm not doing it. He paid the fare, he boarded the boat, and he started on his journey away from the presence of the Lord. But little did Jonah know, God was with him all along. And God was going to get his attention. And the same is true for us. And so as we think of Jonah, the story worth considering, I pray that we would think over these first three verses and consider how we are like Jonah. Where in our lives are we going astray? What have we rejected that God wants us to do? And maybe we should even consider how is God going get to our, get our attention if we continue down the path that we're on? I'd prefer not to end up in the belly of a fish in the next week or so. But what could God do to get my attention if I continue down a path that I'm on that's away from His will? Let's close tonight in a word of prayer. God, we are grateful tonight. For your love to us, we thank you for this book that we can look at, for these questions that we can consider, for the example that you've given us in this man, Jonah. And God, I pray that we would look at our own hearts tonight, uh, that we would compare ourselves to you. If we compare ourselves to Jonah, we could think that we're really good people. But God, as we compare ourselves to you, we'll see the shortcomings and the failings in our own lives in it. In turn, God, I pray, would cause us to humble ourselves before you again so that we could become like you through your son, Jesus Christ. God, we thank you that we have your word to guide us. We have your spirit within us to, to direct us. And God, I pray that we would take heed to, to both of those things uh, so that our lives could bring glory to your name. Thank you for your love for us. Help us to consider these things as we move through this book. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.